hey, I'm losing the rest of the market. It's like, okay, well, mm. maybe if I niche down, well, I'm capturing do, 5% of the market. Why don't you expand on dating analogy? When you pick a woman to marry, you miss out on the rest. I don't have exactly. a lot of experience. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Unfair Advantage Project. Unique perspectives, practical insights, and unexpected discoveries directly focused on giving you the unfair advantage. Introducing your hosts, Nadia Hughes and Terrence Toe. Welcome to the Unfair Advantage Project. This is the very first time that we've tried doing live stream on Facebook, simulcast we'll call it with the Unfair Advantage Project. So anyway, I'm Terence So I'm going to be one of your hosts today, joined by Nadia, our other co-host. Uh, yes, I'm Nadia Hughes, and I'm very happy to be here. And she's always happy to be here. <laughs> and today, <laughs> we're uh, privileged to be joined by Christo Hall, co-creator, co-founder, all the good stuff, apparently, from Basic Bananas, and also co-author of a couple of best-selling books, one of them being Bananas About Marketing and the other one being Perception. Welcome, Christo. How are you? Thank you. I'm very good. Thank you for having me on the show. This has been fun already, even our little conversation prior to start going live. So yeah, thanks yeah for I think having that me. was a lot of fun. And we've discovered <laughs> that Nadia thinks that surfing is boring. So yes. we can just have a whole podcast about surfing, I reckon. Yeah, I think we've got the topic sorted. <laughs> I think I've got something on that day. <laughs> Just to back that up, Christo and I met on a trip to the Maldives, a mastermind run by James Shramko. Nadia is looking really excited here right now. And we connected, had a lot of fun. Christo helped me onto a couple of waves because I don't have quite the skill level on a surfboard that Christo has. That's how we met. Just directing him like traffic, I'd say, this way, that way, turn around, do this, do that. Just bossing him around, basically. Yeah, yeah. He's, like, he's like, go that wave and paddle in that direction now. I'm like, there's not even a wave there, dude. <laughs> but there will be in a second, just go. <laughs> and yeah, one no. thing I learned was just listen to somebody who knows what they're talking about. Well, he's a wave whisperer. Yeah, yeah. And something else that Chris is also really good at is marketing. I'm interested in this one. And, Can uh, we just go... Straight away to that one. And also writing books. So I want to talk a little bit about Perception, your book Perception. Yeah. I read it recently and I actually thought it was really well written, very engaging, the whole read. And I even remember the names of the characters. Let me see if I can remember them right now. Danielle, yeah. Max yeah. and Brooke. Yes. And I think Max's girlfriend or something like that. Was it Kylie? Something like that. Kylie's the marketer, maybe? The um, girlfriend, white marketer. Of course, Max is the muso. Yeah. And to me, actually, it was a bit of a lesson and looking at some of the marketing that you guys put out in how well story actually works in getting people to remember you. Hmm. Very much so. Yeah. A lot of story, a lot of um, marketing activities will do will be story, like something that's actually working exceptionally well at the moment that most people advise against, like on, say, on online platforms like Facebook and things, we create really, really long ads that tell a story about experiences we've had with marketing, that, you know, when times are up and down because everybody loves a soap opera. You know, everybody loves a story that we can hook into and we can resonate with or feel emotions when we read or watch TV or whatever. A huge part of our marketing is 
is actually storytelling. So that's why, like, we'll do Facebook ads, which are really, really, really long, and talk about a hard time in business and a challenge and how we resolved it, and da 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 da. And people read it; they resonate with it. So the book's kind of like full of lessons. Well, both of them. So we've got two books: Perception and Bananas About Marketing. Both of them have stories that weave throughout. And in Bananas About Marketing, it's about a guy who's trying to win over a lady that he has the hots for. And so he gets advice from a marketing expert so that he applies these business marketing strategies to try and win over the girl. So that story kind of starts and stops throughout and then it goes into business examples and steps to five. So they've both got got cool kind of interesting stories. But it definitely makes it more engaging. Part of that was we didn't want to write it like another marketing textbook that's boring as hell to read and, you know, sends you to sleep on every single page (laughs) and now i really want to read it so we represent two people one is very vested in your book he's already read it one is having it on to-do list and now it's actually very interesting because if at the end of our podcast i will run and read it that's a very good podcast Oh, very good. This sounds good. So we're going in the right direction already. Yeah. Um, I like the guy. I like the tips for dating, and I like the fact that it's so relatable to everybody else. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. So, what was the inspiration? I mean, let's talk about perception because I know a little bit more yep. about that. But what was the inspiration cool. for you? So, with perception, a massive thing that that we consider. What we did, I'll put it this way, we wrote the first book, Bananas About Marketing, and it has a lot of how-to. So it'll go, here's a strategy to lay out the text on any marketing material, you know, like formula for copywriting. Here's a strategy to approach networking. Here's a strategy to approach getting PR and media. And so it kind of has a lot of how-to. So then one thing we're like, wait a second, a lot of small businesses don't really become known for anything because they themselves don't even know what they want to become known for. So what happens is imagine you say if you kind of leave it to the world to spread the word about you then and your customers they all say all different things so you never end up with as much of a big presence out there in the world so what the perception is all about and the book is basically you know venting the or like how would you say it? like manufacturing the perception you, you want people to have of you and your business so then they have it and it basically becomes a reality so If you consider for a business to really be known and to play at a bigger level and to be the most popular choice in their industry, they have to own a thought in their prospective customers' minds. So what that means, you know, everyone has a ton of competition, no matter what industry it is. Like we work with hundreds of businesses every year, even thousands now over the years, and Every industry, whether they're product or service or B2B or B2C, they're all flooded. You know, everyone has so much competition. So, but in every industry, there'll be some businesses that stand out and they get all the attention and they get the majority of the customers because they own thoughts in their customers' minds. So people might think of like one specific problem, they'll think of that brand or they'll think one specific want or desire, they'll think of that brand it will never be like 15 different products that you'll really own the thoughts for. If you really want to be known for something, you're only ever going to be known for like one or two kind of things. So even some, to be really practical, some businesses, it might be that they're known for one product. You know, when you think a product, it's like you could say, what are the trigger thoughts that you want to own in people's minds? So if people have this thought, they think your brand. You get clear on what that is or another way to word it could be like if I was like the biggest 
raving fan of a business, like their very best customer, I would go away to one of my friends and I'm only going to say one or two words to my friend about that business. I'm not going to talk for 15 minutes about it. So that every business needs to get clear on what are the one or two words that you would like your customers to tell their friends. And then you push that out through every touch point you have with any human in relation to your business so that people have seen it enough that you're specifically that thing. And then they start to think it and basically then you become known for it. And then if I even go further, what what will happen is once people think it and they perceive you as that thing, then humans will use your brand to represent themselves. So like a classic example, like, you know, Harley Davidson are known for being rebellious and all this. They've just told us that through their marketing and expressing freedom. And then humans will then use that brand, like wear a Harley Davidson shirt to say, look, I'm a, you know, I'm a bit of a rebel, like like basically expressing themselves by using those brands. We all do it. We buy certain shoes, we buy clothing, we buy glasses, we buy bags, you know, we drive cars that tell the world who we are because that brand's amplified a message enough. They become known for something and then we use them to express ourselves. And so that is a really long answer to your question. (laughs) But the perception, that's kind of the, what making the whole book about and then looking at different spaces different industries because sometimes people might hear what I'm saying now and they go oh yeah that makes sense for like a sunglasses store they can become known as the go-to for Ray-Bans or something and it's like well and I'm a consultant like what about me well then you are the brand so it's you need to become known for something or a specific you know provider of a specific solution so you really start to own thoughts versus trying to be everything to anyone and you never end up with as much of a presence out there so yeah owning that space is yeah mind almost it's like you are you know what other people think of you and one thing that i saw in your book that kind of really resonated with me and i mean you said it a slightly different way but i think it it's similar to something that i've said a couple of times maybe mm-hmm. couple, couple. <laughs> of course sometimes i just repeat yeah. myself is your brand is the way that you make someone feel yeah yeah and i think it used the word emotion maybe in there i should quote the book directly but that resonates with me a lot. Yeah. Basically, in order for me to get really into your book and everything, what I would like you to do is a little experiment. If some business will approach to you, some startup, and quite often this unfair advantage project Mm -hmm. designed to help people grow their businesses. So -hmm. what I would like, pick any business you think would be a good example for, and can we just create this, perception for them what they should be start focusing on in the session with the marketer would you like mm-hmm. that like right now yeah 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 let's so like it industry. he's a startup she's a startup let's just do it i like it so well let's go any industry we could basically do anyway like so as if someone's forming a brand right now and they even actually just to reinforce it it should be anyone even if they've been in business for 40 years you want to be reviewing this because it's a work in progress. So what we can discuss now should be applied, whether it's someone who's in their first year or just starting out or someone who's been in business for 40 years, because it's likely they're just ticking along doing what they've always done. And uh, to make sure you're always current, you should be revisiting the marketing messaging and the positioning of your brand every 90 days, I believe, because trends change, fashions change, the words your customers think changes. So you always want to make sure you're current. And sometimes your customer base might evolve to be a more of a, 
let's say, a better customer base, like a more lucrative customer base that makes you more money. So you want to adjust things to become more of a magnet to those kind of customers. Like nothing's even in business ever, right? You've got to evolve and got to keep make, make sure. We're yeah, I, I think that's yeah. true. One of the, like, just a really practical application is I had a business previously and I was in the automotive industry and I think that my market matured with me if that makes sense. Yeah, yes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you're so, not mature. Well, I'm <laughs> Still, They left but, you behind, didn't they? They just <laughs> past you. They're like, you know, that yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I always get this thing about how many kids have you got? You don't even look like you've got any kids. You don't look old enough to have kids or you don't look old enough to have any experience well, in a business. That's for sure. Well, shouldn't be so fascinated with the surfing. So that's <laughs> your, your first thing is just <laughs> hard to uh, But yeah, I did find that. I found that the better I got at what I was doing, that I started to attract a different market because I could have a different type of a conversation with those people. And then so, I, yeah, I just found that my market became, I don't know if maturity is even the right word, maybe more, I'm looking for the right word, but I can't find it right now. But there's yeah, just like evolves with you, I guess. Absolutely. We yeah. see it all the time and see it with businesses we're working with as well. So are we going to play or not? Yeah, let's play. So pick a business. Well, what's an industry? Yeah, you I think guys? you should pick a business, Nadia, since you're putting I will this on the pick spot. plumber. They struggle. They struggle to find identities. Yeah. They cut throat competition. They yeah. all undercut each other's trades by price. Yeah. This is where what I hear from clients a lot. Okay. So with a plumber, a couple of things that I'd want them to look at, first of all, what are current frustrations in their industry? So if there's, a, say, a plumber or anyone listening to this, any industry would follow a similar formula. So we go, what are current frustrations within your industry? Because if we see things like, you know, that it's not clean, that they're dirty, that they don't show up on time, they're charging money and you don't know whether you're actually getting what you've paid for, you know, we want to know what these common things are because this is going to help us look and go, how can we make you different in your space? What I typically ask someone as well in a space is go, okay, for your own brand, so so a few questions I'd need to get out of them. So that would be one, like what are current frustrations in the space so we can position you as different, basically. I'd want to know from them themselves some things like just even throwing a question, like I said before, like if you had a happy customer right now, and they were telling their friend about you, what would you want them to say? So you need to write that down. So you're getting clear on what you basically want to be known for. Another question I'd typically throw at someone is, look, if it was like, a, let's say, 100 years into the future, what would you want your brand to be remembered for? Like, remember how they did this or they were great. At, they changed the industry by doing this. Because, and what we're going to look for in their answers from these then we could also say look what do you just want to be known for at the moment like they might know some things and then i'll look for common threads throughout the answers so what else what else what else okay they might say i want to be known for for being the one that you know whatever changed xyz and then we go okay cool you've said xyz five times now it's through in your different answers that's a bit of a common thread we want to boil things down to be because typically what people will will often then do is I will say, look, I want to be known for like 10 different things or they'll list them out like company values, you know, like I want this or this or this or this or this or this. It's like, okay, cool. Of all these things, if you, you know, we want to try and try if it's possible to get down to say two things that they're going to try and be known for. What couple of other questions I'll throw at them 
I want to know what's your most lucrative job you do at the moment. So you're a plumber. What's a good job for you? And two parts to that, like do you enjoy it and it makes money. So what's a good job for you at the moment? And also another question would be what, what's your most common inquiry at the moment, like the most common sale you make? Because they might say, look, the best one is doing a full renovations job, but they're really hard to get. But the most common inquiry we get is a block drain. Like, okay, cool. The most common one, block drain, because maybe that will be an entry point job to then sell, you know, the renovations jobs or the more lucrative things. So we might go, okay, well, look, let's try and narrow your messaging to be this potentially, if we go down this path, it could be, they say, look, drainage, we get so many drainage inquiries, but it's even a pretty shitty, oh, sorry, swore, even a pretty... <laughs> You're on Facebook Live. <laughs> plumbers, so this is up there, Ellie. That's... I did say the right word for plumbing too, didn't I? <laughs> you did, yeah. You, <laughs> that was just you getting into character, I think. It's a professional right. language, it's fine. Exactly. So we might suddenly go, you know what, you get all these inquiries for, for drainage, Maybe we'll try and own the space of drainage. So there's enough people out there looking for drainage and jobs of drainage, and then we'll get you in the door with drainage. And then you, when you get in the door, you've got to make sure every one of those common fears or common frustrations, which we mentioned at the start, like being clean, being on time, maybe leaving the place cleaner than you find it. Like you could have all these promises that show when you come in the door, you're now getting paid to come into that person's home to market everything else you do to them. So this is purely an entry point job to get in for the drainage. You have a brochure on hand. You educate the homeowner that you are their plumber from here on in. And, you know, so you have the full process. So everything you do is should be sold in sequence in any industry. It's like one job's to sell the next, the next, the next. Christo, if I understand yeah. you correctly, what we do, we're picking something they're really good with. It's a quick way to impress the customer. If you have to pick something, it's a low-hanging fruit as we have established in our last podcast. And we go from there because they impressed how quick, efficient and clean you are. And then it introduces you to the opportunity of offering other services, which is more lucrative than the drainage. Quite often what people do, what I see with the clients, they try to stay away from these less lucrative jobs. They don't mm-hmm. see it as an opportunity or point of entry. And quite often they say, well, it's the call is itself and everything. They're almost doing it at cost or loss. So it's a lost lead sort of thing. So what I hear, and this is correct, because from even financial point of view, it's a cost of your marketing of having a low margins item being yep. sold first. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's typically the way it will be. It's like consider that first job a marketing exercise because the thing that's really sustainable for your business is getting invited back to do the other jobs, the other jobs, the other jobs, you know, the lifetime value of the customer. It's not just the one-off, you know, trying to get as much as you can and then never see them again. So drainage is basically, it's your opportunity to establish relationship for further interaction. Yes. Yeah. And it might, there can be variables on this because with sometimes with certain businesses, we might go, you know what, you're getting quite a few inquiries for a, something that's already pretty lucrative, you know, like let's go there. But that's why through the questioning, because different things can come out depending on the business and their market and, and who they work with. Like a consultant that consults to corporates with his leadership skills, 
he was getting some the odd corporate job but he was also doing just small businesses as well and and his leadership skills he could maybe sell easier to smaller businesses but the most lucrative because through the questioning it was like well you know you only need a couple of these corporate clients to do what you might do with a hundred small business clients so in his space it made sense let's purely position you as the go-to leadership consultant for corporate so we, we cut off the the other offerings completely just, just to give you a different example because that made sense because the others are like a, almost like a distraction if a corporate's looking at his business and it says he's a leadership consultant for corporates for small business and for like i don't know sports teams or something then they're like oh, no we want the expert for us so just in that example it was like niching the marketing because it was all really obvious what was most lucrative for him yeah I would love to go into depth with this just a little bit more because something I see often is a fear of niching down. It's like fear of missing yeah. out. Because yeah. if I niche down, I'm going to miss out on the market. And yeah. I love the way that you've just kind of put it because niching down is where you find some really core opportunities, some quick wins, and it's what you can become known for. And I think part of that fear might be the fact that then, hey, I'm losing the rest of the market. It's like, okay, well, mm. maybe if I niche down, I'm why capturing 5% of the market. Why don't you expand on dating analogy? When you pick a woman <laughs> to marry, you miss out that. on the rest. I don't exactly. have experience. I don't know if I'm the best qualified person to speak about that. In, so. in a speech, book. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was always a lot better with business than women, I think. Is that, <laughs> is that fair to say? <laughs> but no, I think, I think there's this definite fear of missing out. It's like, okay, well, if I niche down, then I'm going to miss out on all this other stuff. Yeah. That's really not the case. How would you frame that? Yeah. And that's a good question, actually, too. It's led me to another thought. The, because... It's a common thing. Let's say if that plumber, we say, all right, let's focus on drainage. Like drainage, we're just making that example up, obviously. But let's just say, okay, let's focus on drainage as with most of your marketing because that's an entry point. And then he says, wait a second, I'm, I like get lots of jobs at the moment, you know, fixing hot water systems or whatever. I don't get a lot, but I get some, you know, suddenly just put my marketing out that says drainage because then I lose all these other jobs. The problem with this is, in every industry, if you try and be, you know, trying to be like a general everything in any space, you're lost against every other person in that pool, like in that space. So it's hard to be known as just the go-to plumber on planet Earth. Like, sure, there will be the odd plumber that seems to just be a general plumber and they, everyone knows them, but the, in any industry, it's like that. There'll be the odd exception. But that's the fear that comes up when we're trying to be everything. We just become known for nothing. So we need something that cuts through that gets inside their heads. So we start to occupy the thoughts. So it's not purely dependent on having an ad in front of the person at the right time that they need you because you're paying for those kind of things. That's an expense. You want to be known. Like we want the, it to be inside their head, inside their thoughts and really easy to refer. Just on that point too, another thing that come up, which is a legitimate fear. So let's say that works for a plumber because there are enough drainage jobs out there that they could niche as Mr. Drainage Man, you know, and then they get in the door as being the drainage guy and they get a flow on of enough business because there's enough drainage jobs as an entry point. But what if 
it's a gym owner and the gym owner, people only travel, you know, from a, a certain radius to go to the gym. And if she, you know, the gym owner, like one an example, Becca, gym owner we worked with, had a weights room with bodybuilding type men are coming. She had cycle classes, pump classes. She had Pilates classes. Now, if she suddenly rebranded the gym as, you know, Pilates classes, Northern Beaches or something, and that was the whole name of it, suddenly she just looks like that one thing. That's going to, she's going to lose the, the men coming to the weights room, right? So this is a little bit of a different because if she niched down, her business has different products that have different niche customers. So in this example, because people don't travel for, you know, four hours to go to the gym. So her market comes from a certain area and she can have different products. So her brand will be a general brand. We'll look at like in the health space and in that kind of gym space how to be different, what she wants to be known for. So she'll create a general brand with a business purpose and that's the general brand. But then she'll do niche campaigns that reach out to the different customer bases. So she might do a niche campaign for the Pilates classes where we'll go, okay, look, it's a 35-year-old woman. She's interested in this. The other problems in Pilates are this and this and this. Here's how we can be different in the Pilates world. So it's almost like we're, we're looking at the niche of just Pilates as a product and we do campaigns to sell that product. But then we'll look at the niche as a separate niche of bodybuilding type men. And we've got to create messaging specifically for them to market the weights room as an example. Yeah. So she'll keep the brand almost, whether you say general as, as a purpose and then have different niche products with different niche markets. Yeah. That's how she can add on more money, you know, basically make more money. What I hear from you is uh, there are two distinct also ways of approaching marketing. One is niche picking you by random, just frequent occurrence. Something happens to you. It's just you walk into the quite a few jobs on drainage and you just deciding this is your niche. Or what I quite often suggest to the clients, undertake some training in a very narrow specialized area in order to be servicing this market, you have to have higher qualifications. Therefore, the point of entry is harder, which means you cut out your competition from this point of view, but it requires a bit of effort. And this is what I call niche by design. You design yourself your own niche. That's why I can hear two clear distinctions. Some people have passive approach where the niche walks, they walk into the niche, and then the niche takes over sort of thing. And the other one is when they take a sort of faith in their hands and go for it. Yeah, so for sure. It's another way, of course, if you can be add on the extra qualifications to make you different in your space. Absolutely. I, I encourage my clients to research the space of future, what they yeah. will be holding and start going. So therefore, they're now looking into technology. A lot of uh, plumbers, yeah. a lot of uh, electricians now looking into technology. How they can yeah, uh, but I think a big yeah. message there is that, look, I wrote down a note. I'll share it with you, right? If you're not known for something, you're known for nothing. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that was what I got true. from what you said earlier. Yeah, and it's like if you want the world to talk about it, you've got to give them something to say. Yeah, um, but... If you want the media to talk about it, you've got to give the media something to say too. Hmm. And what I kind of got out of what you said earlier was that even if you're in a broader niche, so if you want to be able to you know, serve a broader market, you know, you've got to be able to focus on something too. So you know, that's maybe taking a single point of focus to be able to market. You can still then market to a very specific person who has a very specific, who needs a very specific solution for something. 
Yeah. Mm. And we all know the, the exponential energy of focus. When you focus, things start falling and you pouring the energy into the same source, then yeah. that happening. That's probably Yeah, it makes it easier when you know who you're talking to and who you're marketing to. It makes it a lot easier when the clearer you are on who they are. You know, you know, everything you put out is for them. You're writing for them, you're creating for them. So you create things to be more like a magnet to them. On niche too, something that might be beneficial too, just on this while we're on it, that came to mind is you can niche. Sometimes the niche, you could be like a specific demographic like a or a business even, like a specific individual sort of style or you're working with a specific business that you're working with or it could be specific or problem, like specific problem. It could be like the plumber suddenly goes, oh, look, I'm the niche plumber who's specialises in supermarkets or whatever, you know, that's just the go-to for... Or, high-rise buildings plumber you know like we are the expert in that space and that's our demographic or we go specific problem like the drainage so it's like you'll see that might be in like the business coach world you could have business coaches that work with accountants or, and that's it or business coaches that work with health clinics and they like known as the health clinic business coach expert or and that's like a vertical like those different industries or you have a, a cross-section, which is a specific problem that businesses have, and you're the, the solution to that problem across different industries as like a, a horizontal, you know, for Yeah, example, so maybe if you're working on sales, for instance. Exactly, like the cross-section, experiencing this, yeah, or your team's at this size, you can't break through the team of getting over 10 staff, you know, or something like that, or breaking the revenue to crack over 2 million mark or something, you know, like that could be exactly, or it's team... Uh, annoying and you want better staff you know in a better productive team that could be a problem that's a cross section or you go I'm a specific or you do both you say look I'm the assist businesses to grow their team and have more productive team within the legal industry you know as long as it's not getting too narrow you don't narrow it (laughs) in the legal industry that live in western New South Wales (laughs) in towns with under 20 people you know like you gotta it's obviously gotta be enough volume there yeah (laughs) <laughs> well, that's a good question. So when do you know you've gone too narrow? Is it just when you've got no clients? <laughs> yeah, you've got no clients left. There's no one. Bored. Bored, yeah, yeah. You've got no one to work with. And you just can do it with your eyes closed and there is no development or evolution happens. Because we hear about just trying to talk to one person, right? Like literally yeah. a lot of people talk about an avatar and then they say, oh, you've got to imagine that avatar, give them a name and give them very specific, you know, psychographic and demographic qualities right and then so how do you know when you've taken all that too far it basically would be just just not enough volume unless like obviously point of business is making money so if you go quite narrow where but it's still very lucrative like there's still people are willing to pay because if you're so specific as an expert in something where there are very few people and there is a demand out there, even if it's small, you charge a lot more. So this is, there's a sliding kind of scale, right? It's like you get narrow, narrow, narrow with your niche, then you're more of an expert, you're more specialized, you can charge more, but you're getting to a smaller market, obviously. So it's a sliding scale. Then you go, okay, you get more broad, you got more audience, but you're not a specifically something. So you generally wouldn't charge as much, you know, if it's broader in that example like i was looking for a food you know like food scientists in australia to help with looking at this product to develop and and go and it's like okay i found a few people you know like only a very few people that had really good credibility experience with 
decent, credible brands and things. And then I'm like, okay, what's your rate? You know, and they'll go, oh, okay, look, I'll sit down here with him, we'll discuss things, and it'll be five thousand bucks. I'm like, okay, well, that's for you, and you have that credibility. That's okay. Whereas if I'm talking to a nutritionist in Narrabeen here at home, that's not really specialized in something specific, you know, then they're going to charge me probably 60 bucks to sit down. You get the idea. Yeah, totally. And I've got direct experience with that. I had a business in the automotive industry. We specialized, we were known a lot for working with Audi at the time. Uh, And we did a lot of higher end electronics enhancements for those cars. And anybody in that market knew who we were. The first thing was that we got to charge a premium rate for anything that we did. Our competition probably anywhere near what we were doing. But then again, they weren't giving anywhere near the service or the quality of work that we could provide at the time because we just had so much more expertise. And so in terms of market share, we had massive market share because everybody just knew if it was an Audi and if they needed something electronic, take it to these guys who actually know what they're doing. On the other side of that, that didn't stop us from working on brands like Mercedes, and BMW and Ferrari and Maserati and Lamborghini and all those brands. And we became more and more known to be able to work with those brands as well. So again, it kind of, I like what you're saying about being able to charge a premium because of it, um, Mm. but it doesn't really prevent you necessarily from doing more than just, you know, what you're known for to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get to drive those cars when you... (laughs) (laughs) Sweet. I did. We had a couple of R8s for the wedding. Which were, oh, which were kind of gifted to us. And yeah, an R8 Spider and a, two black R8s, one Spider and one Hardtop. And it was a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, very good. Fun. <laughs> I'm not even a car man. I, I bought the Tesla. When we remember, I just ordered yeah. it. When we were in the Maldives, I'd ordered a Tesla probably that week before. And then it took ages. It took about, I don't know, two or three months to arrive in Australia. But I got it now. It's a lot of fun. You told a great story. I came and saw one of uh, Christo's little presentations. And uh, you want to just share your story quickly about the Tesla thing? The Tesla, yeah. So basically called them up and said, look, I want to buy a Tesla. Do you have a black one? Like black inside and black outside, you know, the latest kind of sports car looking one. They said, oh, look, we've got blue with all these extra specs and upgraded things. You know, you should come and have a Tesla. I was like, no, 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 no. I just want the black. You know, have you got black? And it's like, oh, we, maybe. And then anyway... Ended up talking a couple of calls and then spoke to the guy's boss even. And they still eventually, is they like, just come and take one home. I said, no, I don't need to. And he said, look, all right, we've got a black one on the way from the States. It'll be, you know, at least kind of two months to land. Do you want to talk about that one? So I was like, yep, yeah, let's do it, buy it. Bought it over the phone. He's saying, well, but you should come and, you know, drive one, test drive it, sit in it. He's like, have you ever driven one? I was like, no. Have you even sat in one? No. And he's thinking I'm this crazy guy because they're not cheap. But this is a good story of brand back, which is probably nice in a nice way to wrap this up in, in, in terms of being known for saying two and a half years prior to buying that over the phone, the car, I walked into a Tesla store in Santa Monica, Third Street Promenade in California. There's a Tesla shop, like Tesla store. And I thought, I'm getting one of these cars. This thing's like magic, like fully electric. I'm like, you can't believe it. It's on, it's silent. It's not even, there's no sound. It's like, it's... I like to say it's like your blender at home. It's either going or it's stopped. Like it's no engine running, you know, it's like, it's, it's like magic. And I followed Tesla for two and a half years. They've been building trust with me. I've seen their innovations. I've seen their updates. I've seen their brand personality. I've seen what they're known for and how they push the limits. So 
two things that cut through for their brand were continual innovation, like regardless of caring what the industry is doing, they're doing fun innovations or like amazing innovations and updates and things to these cars. And also the brand does have a bit of a quirky, fun personality. So it's in my head as, am I going to buy off Toyota? Am I going to buy off these straightforward European brands? Nah, I like the fun of like, just one obvious example is the range of Teslas is S3X. Like they wanted SEX, the different range, but I think it's Ford or someone has the Model E, so they couldn't get E, so they went S3X. Yeah. Like, but um, the Model Y is coming. Yeah, and Y is coming. Yeah, exactly. So the sexy as the <laughs> yeah. range. And then there's little quirks. The volumes turn up to 11 in the car and all these. But it basically got to the point where I didn't even care how the car drives because they've had this consistent messaging that's built trust and familiarity with me. It's, I was just happy to buy it, even if the thing drives like a you know, piece of... <laughs> I won't say and the word again. Can we bring that back to it's how you feel driving it? Yeah, and then exactly how I feel driving it, how I feel when I walk to it. it it's more than what the car is mm. because what it does, and this is what brands do, it's, being, it's an expression of basically of myself. I feel good like someone with a Gucci handbag they feel good about their Gucci handbag because when they walk in a room, it says, look who just walked into the freaking room. You know, it's, <laughs> it's not about carrying your makeup and your wallet and your cash. It's, it's about saying this is who I am because the brand means something because it's amplified that thing. People perceive it as something. Yeah. Perception then, of a function. Exactly. And then humans use it to express themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Christo, mindful of time. So... I've got to say thanks a lot for being a part of this. We've got it live on Facebook, first time ever. That was great. Thanks for bearing with us while we got the technology right. How can our listener connect with you to begin with? Yes, thank you. Go to basicbananas.com is the best place. If you want to connect with me personally, it's just Christo Hall. You'd find me on social media. There's usually a surfing image, you know, Facebook and Instagram, LinkedIn, Christo Hall. There's not a lot out there, one based in Sydney. And Otherwise, basicbananas.com, the best thing to do is like the workshop. You came along and hung out with us at the, the Blast Off Half Day Workshop. We run that all around Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and we're in seven cities now in the States, in the USA. So we're kind of adding new cities all the time, and it's a half day, low cost, high value workshop. Our approach is just give a ton of value, and people who like us will come back and want to learn more from us and work with us. So that's our whole approach. So that's a good entry point. It's called the Blast Off Marketing Workshop. Find it on the homepage of basicbananas.com. I'm following you right we'll some- now. Ah, yes. Yeah, we have a podcast too. The Pick of the Bunch is a good podcast too. The Pick of the Ooh. Bunch by um, Basic yep. Bananas. Pick of the Bunch podcast. Yeah. Love it. Pick of the Bunch, yeah. All right. Thanks, Christo. I can't see you following us. <laughs> Come on. I'm sure that'll happen. I'll find it now. Yeah, look, here we go. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> No, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for that. I know you've got to run. So I'm sure we'll catch up again soon. We'd love to have you on again and can't wait to get back out in the surf with you. Yes, sounds good. Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun and you guys enjoy the rest of your day and hopefully, yeah, I'm always happy to jump on again some point in the future. Awesome. Thank you. Catch you guys soon. Thanks, Chris. Bye for now. Thanks, bye. Thanks for listening to the Unfair Advantage Project. For more curated resources, visit us at unfairadvantageproject.com.